Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast where a pair of pastor scholars get together and discuss a passage from the Revised Common Lectionary. Uh, We hope that it will be enjoyable and edifying for all and especially equipping for those uh, who are preparing lessons or teachings in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I'm Spiritual Formation Coordinator for Indiana Wesleyan University in Marion, Indiana. And my guest this week is Luigi Penuranda. Luigi's no stranger to this show. We've had him on before, although it's been a bit, so I'm so happy to have him back. And uh, he is a, a professor of global leadership and an amazing exegete of scripture at Wesley Seminary and a dear old friend. And we're looking today at Psalm 138. Our text is Psalm 138 today. If you're enjoying the show while you're listening, just tap the uh, share button on your podcast player app of choice and pass this on to others so that they may benefit as well. And if you'd like to become a patron saint of the show to support us, just go to patreon.com slash fresh text and see ways to support the show. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Luigi. Awesome. So Psalm 138, let's hear it. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted your name and your word above everything. On the day I called, you answered me. You increased my strength of soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise you, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth. They shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly. But the hofty he perceives from far away. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve me against the wrath of my enemies. You stretched out your hand and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we do give you thanks. We give you thanks for the ways that you have delivered us. And we give you thanks for the character and nature of yours by which you will deliver us again. And so we ask now that as we study this psalm, this ancient prayer, that our eyes, our hearts, our whole being would be uh, awakened and illumined, that the light would shine on us, that we would see what you wish us to see here, that we would learn to see what you wish us to see in the world through this text. We ask this all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So, Luigi, great to have you back on the show. It's great to be here. 
Yeah. So what do you notice? What stands out in this text to you today? What observations do you want to start with? Yeah, well, this is a this is a psalm that I personally love. It's one of those psalms that that you just kind of existentially read things that resound with yourself. So to me, coming to this passage is exciting because I remember at some point in my life when I was younger, just reading the text and getting to that part, the end of the psalm when it talks about the Lord fulfilling his purpose in me, in my life, right? And and as I read the poetry and as I I remember back then reading that text and and it just meant so much to me. It was, again, a, a very existential way of reading this text and being like, what a beautiful poetry uh, that affirms something about uh, at the end, the Lord will will do what he wants to do or what he meant to do in my life. And uh, so as I approach this text today, uh, I think it really kind of brings me back to the moments where those words have been so meaningful and affirming. And uh, it's exciting to look afresh at the, at the text. The other thing that immediately uh, I noticed is the the back and forth between the 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 actions that the, the psalmist is is doing or performing or invoking the the things that he says I I do uh, and the contrast between what what the Lord is and what he does so th- there's almost this kind of dialogical I give thanks to you I bow down to you uh, but then the day I call to you. You did this, and, and and this is this is what you've done. This is who you are. You you are great. You are merciful. You are faithful, and it is this kind of dialogical way of prayer, noticing what I do, uh, but also who you are, and it is a back and forth response. I, I find that to be really really interesting in every stage of the psalm, an acknowledgement of, of my dispositions, but also who he is uh, as I respond to, to the Lord. So that's kind of like the first part that, that is interesting of the text to me. No, that's great, that dialogue. And we'll probably want to return to that last line soon enough. But yeah, let's, let's explore that dialogue a little bit. So sure. Riffing off that, it looks like the flow then would run the first first verse is a statement about I, the psalmist, right? Mm-hmm. Directing towards the Lord. And then the same in the beginning of verse two. And then in the second half of verse two, he starts to specify what he's thanking God for, right? For your steadfast love and your faithfulness. So that's that first reference to God's character that you mentioned, right? right? Which implies that God has already done something and spoken, right? The, the the conversation's not out of nowhere. It's responding to the way God has already acted. And you've got his exaltation then. And then you're right, it's all summed like in this beautiful, like verse three kind of has a whole dialogue inside of it, right? On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. Yeah. So it's it's what you're doing, you're doing for me. Yeah, and then it zooms out, right? Verse four through six is there's no personal pronoun. Am I reading that right? 
Yeah, all the kings of the earth will give you thanks, O Lord, That's for right. they have heard the words of your mouth. They, it's they, it's great. And that fits. Great is the glory of the Lord. So now he's kind of zooming out almost. Yeah. Like if one through three is kind of this very personal dialogue, then four through six is kind of this zoom out to like, okay, yeah, I'm, you're great. That's right. It's still, it's, it's not, there's still a dialogue. It's a dialogue between God and the nations, God and the world. Which is then probably relevant. I think it sets up then verse seven, right? Because then it zooms back in yeah. and he's saying, and I'm having trouble, right? So now it's time for me to make my ask, right? And it might be implied by the structure of the psalm that all these kings of the earth, yeah, you know, that that might be part of what's giving him trouble in verse seven. I mean, that's not said explicitly, but yeah, um, there are other powers out there, but you're above all of them. You know, excellent. Yeah, yeah, I can see that, and and it seems so important because maybe in my own existential way of reading the text, you have that personal God, right? There's such a deep dialogue, but it seems very important for the psalmist uh, not only to talk about his individual divinity uh, with whom he is related to, but to really make the big statement: this is not just any any God, any personal or clan God. This is the God of gods. This is the, the God above all kings. Uh, and it seems very important to, to make that statement. I was looking again as you were talking at, uh, at the opening, and it refers to, to the Lord, giving thanks to the Lord, but it says, before the gods, I sing your praises. And it's an interesting phrase. Yeah. Um, Kind of saying in in opposition in front of all these other gods of the land, I sing praise to you and really making this psalm a an important psalm in distinguishing who this God is. It's not just a personal God, maybe even a clan God. This is the God against whom uh, all the other gods stand. And therefore, that's why the psalmist offers uh, things, offers praise, and assumes a posture uh, that clearly makes a contrast between who this God is versus, you know, the kings, uh, many of whom would be worshipped in in many clans and locations. Uh, But this one is a clear declaration, and I think the invocation of his name and his word in verse two are, are also very unique in making a contrast between the other gods and, and the other lords of the land, if you will. This is the God who's given his name, who's spoken his word, and who stands in opposition of all the other gods and also all the all the kings. So that that is really good. It seems to be so central in this conversation to distinguish this God from all lords and from all kings and all, all, all divinities that may, may be contrasted uh, around in other cultures. Yeah, no, that's great. And that means that there's a little bit of a parallelism between verse one and verse four, right? That each of which start kind of a stanza, right? Cause in some sense, these other gods are paralleled then with the, the kings of the earth, like you said, right? Yeah. So no, that's really good. And then you're right. These words become really important. The, the divine name is used in the mm-hmm. first, first verse, not just Elohim, but Adonai. I mean, YH, 
WH. I just like to respect the Jewish tradition of Mm -hmm. mispronouncing it. Um, (laughs) Yeah, in fact, it seems that Elohim, meaning the gods, uh, is what he's addressing in in verse 1. The Lord... In contrast with these Elohims, these that's right, gods. plural gods. That's right, mm-hmm. and the same then at the end of two, the reference to your name being exalted above all others. Right. There is a kind of false competition or something like that. Let me read a little. Here's a little footnote on that verse from I've been reading uh, Robert Alter's translation of the Psalms mm-hmm. this year, and it's really good. Uh, let me read this, and then we'll take a break. Sure. Uh, So before gods, he says, this implicitly polytheistic phrase has troubled interpreters through the ages. Because it sounds like there's other gods, right? Right. (laughs) The Aramaic Targum, which you know, Luigi, and maybe some of our audience does, that'd be the the Aramaic version of the uh, Hebrew Bible that would have been around at Jesus' time, for instance. Mm -hmm. The Aramaic Targum rendered it not very convincingly as judges. So they were already trying to clean up (laughs) this reference. Following this line, Rashi and other medieval exegetes understood it as a reference to the Sanhedrin. <laughs> so there were always these attempts to think of these, these divine beings as something other. And then he suggests it's most plausible to see here either a linguistic fossil from polytheism, which would imply that maybe this poem was using a, a, a phrase that came from polytheistic religions that was being kind of co-opted and mm-hmm. reused to address to God, or it could be an anti-polytheistic polemical gesture as if it's saying, I acclaim you with all my heart in defiant presence before all those deities that people imagine to be real gods. Mm-hmm. It's not a great, great <laughs> footnote. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. So, and it occurs to me as I say it, the all your heart really matters then, right? Because that reminds me of Deuteronomy, right? Absolutely. Which is anti-polytheistic, right? Hero God, hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love your God with all your heart. Right. And the idea of have no other gods before me. So it's don't have a partial heart to me and a heart to other other gods, right? So the language of heart is connected to the threat of idolatry. That's right. For the Israelites. Yeah, I find that very interesting. And of course, when we think about monotheism today uh, in the West, we kind of have this tendency to think of, do you believe in God or not? And and it just kind of creates a weird dichotomy that, that the text completely function in, in different categories in, in which uh, I remember taking classes and talking about, I think it's called henotheism or henotheism. Which, which is, is not that, it's not that there, there is a God or not. There are plenty of gods and, and many communities, you know, believe in these deities that they adopted as their, their one deity. And, and in that sense, to, to just say God, to just say Elohim, it kind of begs the question, which one, which Elohim? And that's so important to, yeah. to, to the psalmist to, to make sure that there's this distinction. Not only is he, is he the Lord, um, but he, he has proven, he has spoken. I think that they mentioned both in the beginning and it repeats again, uh, talking about his word, 
I think this is important because it, it, it begins to set this, this God, not just as God, the Lord, but as the God that has spoken, as the God who has been gracious and faithful. And, and it is almost so essential to say God doesn't describe uh, the distinction, the distinctive aspects of this God, uh, who, who is a God who speaks. And I'm thinking of other songs that, that in a sense, the, 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 the making fun of idols is this idea that they have mouths, but they don't speak, right? That, that uh, they, they function as images, but this God, this God has spoken and this God has, has been faithful. Um, and this God uh, receives praise in opposition to all the other gods. And I think, I think it fits really well uh, within the, the cosmology and the, the, the theology of, of, of the, of the lands, right? If we place this some in an Old Testament context. So it is not strange to hear that language and parallels between gods and kings and rulers and lords, um, but really indicating the distinction and the distinctive of, of this Lord who speaks, who's been faithful, uh, to whom we can give our hearts and bow down and, and who will act on our behalf. And, and uh, so it sets apart this name, the name, the Lord, this God for the psalmist above all other hierarchies of divine and, 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 and ruleship um, th- that you can invoke, right? So I think very important, very good comment. No, thanks. That's really great. Well, let's take a quick break and come back and explore some more. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Luigi Peñaranda, and we're looking at Psalm 138. I'll, uh, I'll just read it again to have it in our ears. This is Robert Alter's translation. So Psalm 138, for David. I acclaim you with all my heart. Before gods, I hymn to you. I bow toward your holy temple, and I acclaim your name. For your kindness and your steadfast truth, for you have made your word great across all your heavens. On the day I called you, you answered me. You made strength well up within me. All kings of the earth will acclaim you, Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth. And they will sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the Lord's glory. For high is the Lord, yet the lowly he sees, and the lofty from a distance he knows. Though I walk in the midst of straits, You give me life in spite of my enemy's wrath. You stretch out your hand, and your right hand rescues me. O Lord, you will requite me. O Lord, your kindness is forever. Do not let go of your handiwork. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So yeah, let's uh, let's get into some... Additional interpretive questions. I have, I have a couple. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask if you, well, there's something else I noticed from what you mentioned. And then I want to talk about verse six. <laughs> so, but we'll, 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 cut, we'll build the up to that. So you mentioned just in passing right before the break that 
the reference to word or words appeared, I believe, twice, right? So verse 2 has, you have made your word great, or you have exalted it, uh, other translations might have. So there's great word, and then plural words, you know, they have heard the words of your mouth. So I don't know, what, what do you think might be some of the significance of the word going out and being great and being heard? I don't know. I just was, it struck me today. Yeah, it, it really is important, it seems to me, for, for the theology of the Old Testament to show the centrality of the God who reveals himself through, through his speech, through his words, through his sayings. And, uh, and here it seems, it seems so important for the psalmist to recognize, uh, and, and I think we see, recognize the name but also the word and the words to recognize that this is the God who has spoken. And, and I think this becomes actually one of those elements that the psalmist used to distinguish who this Lord is above all lords. He's not just a God, an Elohim, but this is the one that ha- has spoken. And, uh, it really is amazing, I think, that the response is worship, because in many ways, this is the God who reveals himself through what he says. When he speaks, he reveals himself. And I think I think the acknowledgement of, of I worship him for who he is, who has spoken, there's almost a, an intentional relationship of, of who he is, is the one that he has, that has reveal himself through the speaking aspect. And so I think that the psalmist uses that. And perhaps, uh, even though it's not as explicit, perhaps he's really making the same statement in in contrast with the gods and the kings, the the other lords of the land. Uh, This is the, the, the speaking God who has revealed himself and who in his revelation has been Faithful, there's those elements, and I find it really interesting. I also read the Spanish um, translation, uh, which is the one I, I grew up with. Uh, but how difficult is it is to translate the, the, the? There's one version that says the steadfast love and faithfulness. How does that come through in Spanish? What's yeah. it sound? Just let's hear it. That one would would be, "Alabaré tu nombre por tu misericordia y fidelidad." So they, they use more mercy and, and fidelity, right? And fidelity. Faithfulness, right? Um, okay. And of course, we're dealing in, in the case of mercy or steadfast love. Uh, chesed. We're dealing with chesed, right? Uh, the, yeah. This, this complex term in, in Hebrew that me, means so much more than what can be encapsulated in our, in our little translations, right? Um, uh, o- almost the same impact of the word grace uh, in in the New Testament in in, in in Paul, but the chesed of the Lord and this faithfulness as well, which is this this continuous truthfulness of who He is. So so the name connected to character and attributes of God ex- expressed through the the, the revelation of of his name through his words, right? So, I mean, I think there's a, 
yeah. deeply theological uh, union of terms under all of this that, that makes him so distinct, ma- makes him the, the, the one that is worthy to be bowed down to and, and worshipped in, in the way the psalmist does. So, but I do think there's that's that's a very important element, the chesed, the steadfast love, the faithfulness of the Lord revealed to the psalmist. Yeah, linking that with word is very helpful because you could think of like God having characteristics and then you could think of God speaking and telling us some of his characteristics, right? Like I'm omnipotent or I'm immutable or what have you. And those things might be true too. But like these particular characteristics, chesed and emet, mm-hmm. likely the the background to grace and truth in John chapter one, probably. Yeah. This is probably the 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 thinking behind that. Cause these are, these are put next to each other often throughout the, the Hebrew Bible. And these are actually, these terms, Hesed and Emet are linked to a word, right? So the way these would have been used in everyday language at the time would have been related to promise keeping covenant keeping, Right. If you make a treaty, like you, if, if, if I, if two countries that just use the language here, the kings of the earth, the next, you know, mm-hmm. two verses later, right? If two kings of the earth, the king of Assyria and the king of, of, uh, of Babylon made a treaty in terms of, uh, maybe exchange of goods or, uh, right of passage for a trade route or what, whatnot, right? Mm-hmm. They would have a, a covenant, right? Or a pact, a treaty. And you would be demonstrating chesed. If you were, if you stuck with that treaty, is you would especially be demonstrating chesed if you, if one partner screwed up, right? Like maybe one of their, you know, one of their lesser guys picked a fight with one of your guys at a bar, and it kind of ruined up. It 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 put it put at risk this treaty because there was a a skirmish between two underlings. And it was seen to be the fault of, say, the Assyrian underling. The Babylonian king would be demonstrating chesed if they would stick with it. They would stick with the treaty, even though the treaty was under attack or was was put at risk. Is it now? Th- this is what I've learned from other people. This is the moment for you, Luigi, to say, "No, nah, nah, that's not right. That's not how it works." But is that <laughs> is that does that fit your study too? Um, yeah, you know, it has I this kind of notion of you bind yourself to someone else yeah mm-hmm. it is stick it out. language which is why mercy is an okay translation because mercy is hesed under the context of when the when the covenant is being threatened becomes mercy right you're merciful uh but that's not the only sense of it it has a larger sense of faithfulness to the covenant that's right and the same goes with truth so truth is actually very related these aren't separate things it means it means truthfulness, trustworthiness, right? Yes. Fidelity. Actually, I think the Spanish is superior translation to, uh, yeah, that I don't know, but, but, but it shows it, it, it doesn't just mean he tells true things as like abstract right. scientific knowledge. This is about relational, relational truth. Yes. I have committed to do this and I do it. Yes. Um, yes. so for God to be Hesed and Emmet to, to have, you know, with his, and then, then, then all of a sudden the name becomes really important because you can think of a contract, you sign your name for modern people. We think right. of signing a name on a contract in an ancient world. It would be speaking the name to like render something official. Right. Uh, so name, like I'm, I'm, I'm expositing your comment that name word 
hesed, which is faithfulness and, and emet, truth, are all, these are all connected. These are not like separate ideas. Very, it's all- very important. Yeah. As you talked about covenant, uh, it reminded me, I took a class uh, one time with a professor named John McKenna. And uh, he, he exposed a book of Exodus where we see tremendous revelations of who God is. And in fact, I remember he, he, he called it the, the little creed of the great I am. Uh, when you go to Exodus, I think it's 34, that after the people broke the covenant and the Lord gave him the, the, the tablets once again. He reveals himself. Uh, and you hear this, the Lord, the Lord is merciful and, and gracious. And uh, it, it says something that he was proclaiming his name, the Lord, merciful, gracious, slow to en- anger, and abounding in chesed and emet. Right? Yes, yes. Uh, and it's almost the self-revelation of a great I am proclaiming himself, the Lord, the Lord, merciful, uh, gracious, slow to anger. But he's full of th- this grace and truth or this steadfast love and faithfulness, right? And, and you do hear that echo of the, pro- the self-proclamation of the great I am in, 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 in this text. And and I do wonder if some of this is just the echoes of what he used to call the the, the, the little creed of the great I am. This is this is so essential to understand the, the self-revelation of, of the Lord, not just an, as an Elohim, but as as the Lord Yahweh that He is, who continues to be faithful to the covenant to the people. Uh, so I, I agree with you. This is covenantal language to me echoes of of some of this uh, self-revelations that we hear in scripture and something the psalmist sees as 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 a reality in his personal life and and as something that challenges even the lords of the land i i love too when we go back to word that he's telling the kings of the land that they have also heard the words of the mouth of the lord so this is this is not just a little personal attribute of my deity that i've embraced this is what the lord has spoken and the reality that everybody has to hear yeah that's so great thanks so much let's take a quick break and come back and explore some sermon starters welcome back we're here with uh, Luigi Peñaranda, and we're looking at Psalm 138. Beautiful psalm. I've had a blast exegeting this with you. There's so much more that we could explore. But I do wonder if everything we've been talking about, all this great stuff about God and his character and nature and actions, and then also all the way back to the beginning of our conversation with the dialogue between mm-hmm. God and us in both word and deed, makes me want to kind of sort of explore a sermon starter that just zooms in on verse 6. So I see six is so simple. Six A even, right? Yes. For high is the Lord, yet the lowly he sees. Yeah. Right? So God is the one who speaks. He's spoken his word. God is the one who hears our voice when we cry out to him. All of this you kind of can center around this notion of the high and lofty Lord who sees the lowly ones. Yeah. And I wonder if, in a way, that almost 
that might encapsulate the whole thing. I feel like there's a whole sermon on prayer. There's a whole sermon on politics. There's a whole sermon on worship Mm -hmm. and maybe all of those at once that can kind of flow out of just that, that packed image. High is the Lord, yet the lowly he sees. You have any thoughts on that as we bring our conversation to a close today? Yeah, as I think about a sermon started, starter, I, yeah, it really leads to that part when, when he almost acknowledges his humbleness. His, his, uh, this is a, a God that he has placed above all gods, all kings. He has exalted. He, he has created this, this uh, scene in the earlier part of the song where this is the, the highest God. Uh, and then all of a sudden you find the psalmist in the position of, of the smallest, the lowest, uh, uh, and almost creating the, this contrast between the, the God that is the highest God in relation and probably covenantal relationship with the lowly. And I think it, it is a testament in a sense of, of the commitment of this great God who's been faithful and and gracious and truthful and faithful, but has been faithful with the humble, with the lowly, uh, with him. And it is it is it is a tremendous acknowledgement of of the closeness of this great God who is above all things. And uh, I love the contrast that he makes in in verse six. The Lord Adonai is high, yet in his highness he has regard for, for the low. And, and, and we see all this uh, personal response. The Lord is doing something all, on behalf of not just his people, but the psalmist. Uh, he can walk in the confidence that this high, gracious, faithful, truthful God um, is working, uh, committedly working uh, on his behalf as he walks. And uh, to me, this is tremendous, uh, just tremendous comfort. And I think in, in, in a sermon, sometimes we, we really want to highlight the, the holiness, the sanctity, the uniqueness of God. But we forget that, you know, sometimes that makes him so uh, unapproachable and accessible. And I think the psalmist is actually bringing it back to this idea of of yet he is approachable yet he is with me he has encouraged my soul uh when i am in trouble he stretches out his arm and at the end of the day he is gonna fulfill his purpose he's gonna bring my life to the goal the ultimate final goal purpose of god and and what a what a way to end this this psalm and, and recognize that the, the the high God above all things is the one working for me personally. And uh I don't know, beautiful. That's that's kind of like the first thing that I notice as the psalm begins to close. Yeah, it's totally beautiful. And it, it's like at first glance it seems like a con- a contradiction, this high who's connected to lowly. As you meditate on it, you realize, well, God doesn't have anything to prove. Mm. And think of, you know, think of that first time you abandoned a friend who was embarrassing you, like in junior high. It's not because you cared. It's because 
someone higher than you <laughs> in the in the popularity food chain, you were embarrassed of your friend because of this new friend you were trying to make, right? Mm -hmm. But if God is it, if God is above all of that, if he has no one to impress, then he doesn't have to worry about quote ruining his reputation by associating with the lowly, right? So in a sense, his highness makes his lowliness possible in this kind of weird roundabout way. And so prayer is fitting and prayer is more fitting to him. I mean, people pray to idols all the time, but because he actually sees, he actually hears, he actually speaks. Yeah. So he is the God who's worthy. I wonder, that could even be a, a couple points if you were doing a sermon on prayer, right? The God who sees, the God who hears, the God who speaks, right? And so prayer is fitting to Adonai because he can speak, he can hear, mm -hmm. and he can see. He sees. I don't know what order to put that in. How about that'll be our sermon starter? Hey, listeners. Pick those three things and put them in whatever order you want. But hey, thanks so much, Luigi, for taking your time. I uh, appreciate so much the time you gave uh, today to our listeners. And thanks as always to all our listeners. We appreciate you tuning in and getting the word out about the show. Uh, thanks to Todd and Eric for their production work. Can't imagine doing this show without you guys. Thanks to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music. Thanks to our patron saints who support the show. If you'd like to uh, do that yourself, just go to patreon.com slash fresh text and find ways to support the show. With that said, we say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye.